Welcome to Game of Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham. Scott is alongside, as always. Hello, Scott. Hey, Sean. I'm here. How do you do? How do you do? Uh, I do well. A little bit of a weird week here in Ottawa where the river level is rising. People are staying home from work and hopefully staying safe out there. Yes, hopefully everyone is doing uh, doing well. I posted photos on our Instagram of what the Ottawa River looked like on Friday mm-hmm. as I crossed the bridge. I work over on the Gatineau side, on the Quebec side. Uh, so I crossed the bridge every day with the exception of today where uh, I worked from home. We were We were preemptively told to do that. Uh, to make sure we had everything we needed to work from home today. So I was able to work from home. And, uh, yeah, hopefully everyone is safe and doing well. But the the I, I don't know. It, it didn't really dawn on me how crazy the photos that I took were until people commented on them. Because there's a, there's a water taxi station right behind the Canadian Museum of History that all you can see is sort of the top of it now. It is completely yeah, in the water. It's gone, Sean. Like, it's gone. It's gone. The, the path on the Ottawa side, the running path, mm-hmm. the bike path, that's all gone as well. And that washed out just two years ago. So, yeah. Yeah, I hope everybody's staying safe out there. And yeah, we... and not just here either. Uh, you know, out uh, there was, I, I saw some, something going on in Montreal today, mm-hmm. and uh, as well as uh, New Brunswick. Down east, New Brunswick way, yeah. Yeah, I got a lot of friends live out there. So, yeah, yeah. hopefully everybody's do, doing okay. And uh, we're going to give you some distraction from that yeah so let's talk a little bit of <laughs> curling the final leg mercifully of the uh, grand slam of curling was played this weekend out in saskatoon i think we have to fact check ourselves first scott uh looked like it was played at the university of saskatchewan um yeah that's so right that, that, a new that was our there. first mistake yeah that uh, it's not where they're going to be playing the roar of the rings in a couple of years no and Probably a good decision. Yeah, seemed like a very small facility, but as they do in Saskatchewan, they packed the house there. I don't quite understand the Champions Cup slogan of the world's best battle. Is it the world's best battle, or is it the world's best battle? Like, I don't understand. Like, is the battle what is the world's best, or is it the team, so it's the world's best, and they're battling? I, I think it's number two, yeah. Okay, I think they need to uh, really just tighten up their punctuation there. But anyway, uh, we went through how each team qualified. Uh, 15 men's teams, 15 women's teams enter the Champions Cup. And uh, let's just jump right in, Scott, to the women's side of the draw and the playoffs. And uh, we'll call them Team Trick or Treat as Sylvana Tiranzoni they missed the playoffs a couple of weeks ago at the Players' Championship. And then here we go. Come through, and they are your Champions Cup champions. Here we go again, Sean. You're right. They win the World Championships, come back, miss the playoffs, then come along and win this one. Team uh, Trick or Treat, that's an excellent name for them. They, uh, they managed to play quite well throughout the week, uh, having a, a pretty good record, and then... Yeah, just uh, mashed their way through to the playoffs. Yeah, so during the week they go three and one. 
uh, in the round robin play. Their only loss of the week was to Casey Scheidegger, who they lost uh, in their second game there. And then they come through the playoffs beating uh, Robin Silvernagel in the first game and then Rachel Holman and then Carrie Anderson in the final. So no uh, no real weak spots there in their road to the final uh, in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, and then on the other side, Carrie Anderson, uh, they also went three and one. They were actually in the same pool as Sylvana Tiranzoni, and they come through beating uh, Alina Kovaleva and Anna Hasselberg's team, which of course was skipped by Eve Muirhead this week, uh, making their way to the final. And uh, Sylvana Tiranzoni in the final pretty much controlled the game uh, all the way through. Well, certainly in the second half, tied after four. They exchanged singles through the first half of the game, and then the first deuce there was cracked by Tiranzoni in the fifth, gets the force in the sixth, and uh, is up two playing eight and gets uh, gets a steal. Right on. That's how you win games, right? Just ask Gunner. Take yeah, two, that's the Gunner one. strategy. Yeah. 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 Eventually yeah. you'll win. Or even if even if you just go one 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 one, as long as you go last, you're gonna win. <laughs> there you go. That's, you know, that's just math. That's a straight up math, yeah. Yeah, so this event, Sean, being billed as the world's best, what did you say, world's best competed, competing? Battle. 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 Yeah. So uh, based on strength of field measurement, uh, it's actually not the, the best event of the oh, year. No, of can you not. can you guess which the best event was for the women? All year or in the Grand Slam? Uh, all of the tour events. Combined. So I'll give you a hint. It's the same for the men as for the women. So all tour events, like because I I would have said the Canada Cup. Yeah, does that count as a tour event? uh, It counts as a tour event, but given the lack of international teams, it sort of brings it down a little bit. Okay. Well, then I might go. Actually, I might go with the uh, the dear departed Elite Ten. Ah, the Elite Ten. Not a bad guess, Sean. Uh, the Elite 10 was not on my list of ones that were over a strength of field of 10. Uh, it was the Meridian Canadian Open, to be okay. to be fair, which is pretty crazy. All the men's teams – well, let me look at all the women's teams here. The lowest-ranked women's team was 21 in the world there, and that was Robin Silvernagel. Everyone else was 17 and above, so uh, pretty strong field there on the men's side. It's a little bit lower because Ryan Kleider, Ryland Kleider, uh, the junior team yes. from Saskatchewan, made it in there, ranked 166, which brought down right. the rest of the field. Yeah, I forget about those sponsors' exemption, exemptions for the first part of the of the mm. season, but it would also make sense too that it's the Canadian Open because you'll remember that after after Anil Hasselberg won the first two, she took at least the next one off. She she didn't play the national. Yes, that's uh, right. And I don't know if she took another one off too. So that would also affect the strength of schedule for the uh, or the strength of field for the women. Yeah, yeah. So uh, she did play in the Meridian Canadian Open. There, you had the top ten teams in the world all playing in that event for the women. So a uh, bit of false advertising maybe for this Champions Cup, but it was still fun to watch nonetheless. the The thing that I come back to with all of these uh, Grand Slam events, Sean, is all the tiebreakers, every single team seems to be still involved. Come Friday night, uh, they play tiebreakers Friday evening, tiebreakers Saturday morning. There's too many tiebreakers. It's too easy to get into the playoffs 
And I know yes. they wouldn't attract the same number of teams if they changed the playoff structure from from eight teams down to down to four. But holy cow! I mean, it, it seems like the whole week doesn't really matter. Yeah, but to be fair, they're only playing four games, so it's hard to get separation in four games. I don't think it's necessarily a matter of the number of teams you let in. I think it, the problem is that you're not playing enough games for there to be any sort of distance between between the teams. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the women's side, you have seven teams that you have to eliminate during the week, and you're only getting rid of four out of uh, just on pure standards. Yeah. So two and two get you in, and we've seen situations where one and three get you tiebreakers as well. So it's you just have to play more games. Even if you play six round-robin games, a fifth game might help too. But if you could somehow play six round-robin games, then you, you're going to get a little more separation in the field. Right, and the biggest culprit was when we had 12 teams whittled down to eight for the playoffs. Yeah. Just insane. Yeah. But I think this speaks to the success of what they did at the Canadian Open, where it was a, a triple knockout format or a double knockout into a playoff bracket. That's right. the kind of Bonsfield that used to dominate the, the cash circuit. There's the advantage to it that you could start at Thursday and finish at Sunday. Yeah, a lot of teams would be playing multiple games, but you wouldn't be taking Tuesday night all the way to Sunday for an event, which it's got to be a drain on these teams, right? They're going from one event one week to the next with only one day off. I, Yeah, it, it's it's become a bit of a slog to watch these yeah. these events, especially because the preliminary round games really don't seem to mean anything. They they certainly don't mean as much. Like you know, you you can go four and zero, or you can go two and two, and you get into the same place basically. You know, there's really no advantage of going undefeated because mm -hmm. the eight teams that make it in are all pretty good. Yeah. So it's it's not like you're you're getting an easy matchup necessarily. I think, though, the problem, Scott, is with the triple knockout format is that you don't know when teams are playing. And we, we've seen this with the Scotties and the Briar that the host association or the host group, they want to know who they can market at various draws. And that's how they can sell their tickets. So you don't want a situation, certainly the event in Conception Bay, you want to know when Gushu is going to play. Because you can say to people, here's when Gushu is playing, and, and you can pack the house, and people are going to come for those ones. If if it's sort of this situation where it's a crapshoot as to who's going to be playing at a, at a given draw, that does make it a little harder to sell tickets. Sean, and, I might argue it's easier because you could say it could be Brad Gushu at any time. <laughs> Buy your tickets. <laughs> I guess I, I, you could. Yes, I think you can make a case that that does make the full event passes. A little more appealing because you don't know who's going to be playing when. Mm -hmm. uh, and but I think the same is true for TV. Like TV likes to market who they're going to play and they like to who's going to play and they like to know that in advance of the draw. And it's not quite the same on Sportsnet as it, as it is on TSN. But you know, having that certainty in the scheduling, it can be beneficial. Uh, and I think for the players too, you got to you got to remember the stuff that goes around goes on around this event. And, and all the events with autograph signings and meet and greets and all that kind of stuff. If the teams don't know when they're playing, it's harder to schedule those type of things to make sure that the fans have access to the players. I, I suppose so, that's true, but 
like we've discussed before, these Grand Slam events are TV shows. They're not necessarily they're not making money on tickets, right? They're it's nice that fans can come in, but this is basically programming for Sportsnet. It is, but but you look at this week. I know that Rachel Holman had an event with Canadian Beef that they did a meet and greet associated with that sponsorship. And if you don't know when you're playing, you can't really do that. Well, you could get there a day early instead of two days early and and do stuff like that then. I'm just saying, uh, and as far as TV, knowing the matchups beforehand, most of the time they don't tell you who they're showing until the end of the draw before it anyway. No, but they know. Well, okay, they know, big deal. Like It doesn't seem that hard to change it. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um yeah, no, I but I like I agree with you sort of in, in principle. Right. Uh, I, I but I just think there are some logistical issues that they need to uh, that that need to be addressed. I, what I would do here is I mean add a add a sixteenth team and just go pools of eight, play seven games, and be done with it. Play seven games, get it down to semifinals. Yeah, I'm I'm even fine with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a lot of games. Or, so. Or what if what if Scott we had sixteen we had a sixteenth team. And we went two pools of eight, um, and they played a round robin. And then we went down to another pool of eight, and you played the teams who you hadn't played in the first round, and that got you into a page. Wow, Sean, what a brilliant system. Did you just come up with right. that on your own? Yeah, it just occurred to me that that could be a fun idea. <laughs> oh, boy. Of course that's the way they do it at the <laughs> national championships, and Sean is being very funny. But but anyway, uh, let's get away from that. Congratulations yes. to Team Tiranzoni yes. on the men's side. Well, yeah, well, let's do our picks, Scott. How did our, our women's picks do here? Because uh, I know, at least for me, I think it was a bloodbath. Sean, you got you know what? It wasn't. We oh, ended up with the same amount of points. You picked uh, uh, Kim, Team Kim, to win. So And they did poorly. In that <laughs> respect, it was a bit of a bloodbath. Uh, but you had Jennifer Jones, Robin Silvernagel, and Sylvana Tiranzoni making the playoffs. Okay. Jennifer Jones advancing, of course, on a tiebreaker. Still counts. And I had picked Team Anderson to win. Couldn't so quite close. get it done. Uh, it's too bad. And Rachel Homan, Anna Hasselberg, and Casey Scheidegger to make the playoffs. So I also had three points. We evened out in the women's side. Yes. So uh, three three there. So all right, let's shift over to the men's side. Where Scott, there are there are certain things in this world that are certainties. Uh, you know, death, taxes, and Kevin Cooey and Brendan Botcher playing in finals. Exactly. This is, this is what it is now. And right around tax time, right? So yeah. it is uh, one of these certainties, Sean. Holy cow! That these guys went through the field like a hot knife through butter. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they, they yeah. Brendan Botcher was not only so he goes through undefeated. Not only did he go through undefeated he, after he played, uh, he played Tyler Tardy and I believe Matt Dunstone in one point games. Yes. And then through his the rest of the round robin and the first couple of playoff games, it, it just he was just running through people, mm-hmm. and it wasn't really very close. I think he beat Bruce Mowat like eight to three or something. Like on Saturday night, it, it really wasn't close at all. Um, and then the the final was a good game, right, Sean? You watched the yeah. whole thing, so why don't you tell me your thoughts on it? 
Yeah, so I, I did. I, I stuck with it. Uh, I thought that there was uh, some moments in the game where it felt like Kevin Cooey and his team, almost like they'd been playing since August, <laughs> and uh, it was time for them to, to have a bit of a vacation. Um, there, it's, it, it, you just sensed a bit of tension uh, with Cooey on some of the line calls, you know, being concerned uh, that that the guys were cooking them a little bit. Mm-hmm. So there there was a bit of tension there. Ben Hebert as well. Um, yeah, you know, th- there was one point where Mike Harris asked Kevin Martin after Ben Hebert was offering his opinion. Uh, he, he said, <laughs> "Hey Kevin, how much uh, how much say did Ben have on your team?" And Kevin Martin said something along the lines of, "Well, we let him talk a little bit." <laughs> yes, I did so, hear that. Yeah, so just you know, so so Ben was really getting involved in, in some of the discussion there. So it did seem like a, a bit of tension, and and nothing that would lead a team to break up or anything. Just it, like a team's been curling together for nine months with very little break. Yeah, and they've that, uh, seen a lot of each other in the last month or so. Yeah, a lot. Like from from the the Briar to the Worlds to the players to this. Like there's really no time off. Almost none. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so so they've uh, they've earned a, earned a bit of a break, and then on the other side, it felt like Brandon Botcher was very indecisive in this game. He was looking at rocks a lot more than what we've seen, and early in ends too, right? He he really doesn't have a lot of conversation on the shots for certainly not for Carrick Martin, and very rarely for Brad Thiessen either. And usually with Darren Molding, he's just like, "We're doing this," and the guys are like, "Okay," so. There was a lot more discussion, so he seemed a, a, a little indecisive. But the second end to me was the key to this game. Uh, Kevin Cooey missed both of his shots. His second one, he tried an outturn, thin tick. He had a chance to eliminate the two botcher stones that were in the forefoot. He was trying to hit one mm-hmm. that was in sort of the 10, 11 o'clock position at the top of the house, and he flashed it. Which of course you never really see. So Botcher had an open draw for three, for three. yeah, and and that and and it was because because I, so I missed the first end, but Cooey steals in the first end to to sort of get the hammer away from Botcher, but then he cracks his three in the second end, and it just it never quite had the real uh, flow for Kevin Cooey that you're used to, which is weird to say in a game that you lose uh, in an extra end, um, but you know he gets his deuce in four, which is pretty straightforward botcher i like I, I looked up in the fifth end and it seemed like Cooey was in a great position to at least force if not to steal and then i looked up 40 felt like 45 seconds later and brandon botcher was sitting too and i had actually rewind and say how did that happen yeah uh, like a couple of great shots yeah a, sort of a deuce out of nowhere there and really it, it was just one of these things where brandon botcher after the fifth end just sort of waited kevin Cooey out mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you mentioned Brendan Botcher being indecisive. Darren Molding was talking a lot yesterday. Yes. Uh, and, a lot. and it might've been due to Brendan being more indecisive, but that's something that we haven't seen this team doing in their recent run of success. Darren Molding always talks quite a bit. He's a talker. Yes. But that seemed to be a little more than usual yesterday. But you know what? Looking at uh, the the percentages and the scores with the the degree of difficulty on there, Darren Molding played really really well yesterday. He mm-hmm. shot eighty six percent with a average difficulty of three point two point three two, which was the highest of all the curlers out there. 
uh, except Kevin Cooey. He was 2.34. So, yeah, yeah I mean, uh, his his mouth was uh, necessary, I guess, for that. Yeah, and it shows, too, in the degree of difficulty shots, too, if you, if you eliminate the leads because their degree of difficulty shots tend to be lower just because they're the first ones throwing. Mm-hmm. Brandon Botcher had the e- was throwing the easiest shots. Okay. For out of, out of the rest of the the field, right? So out of the other six guys, on the degree of difficulty, his were the easiest, which again speaks to how well Darren Molden was playing. Yeah, absolutely. For him to be able to uh, be able to set things up for Brendan Botcher to do that, uh, of course, helped by some misses on the Cooey side. B.J. Newfeld had a bit of a down game by his standards. Sure. So. Yeah, a down game too, and his was the second lowest degree of difficulty yeah. as well. So uh, a little off there, and even in the extra end, I mean, Kevin Cooey missed his last one, so Brendan Botcher didn't even have to throw to mm-hmm. win mm-hmm. there in the, the ninth end. So, uh, But congratulations certainly to Brendan Botcher. They uh, they just keep winning here. Three, and, three in a row, Sean. Yeah. And so, two finals in a row against Cooey. I really wish that yeah. Cooey wasn't Team Canada next year and we'd get to see this battle in Alberta, but I guess we'll be able to watch it at the Briar more likely than yeah. not. Yeah, maybe even three times. Maybe. So that that could be fun. Of course, you know, Ted Appleman is going to have something to say about that, as is Karsten Sturme. Absolutely, absolutely. But the way this team is playing right now, they're they got to be top two or three in the world. So Yeah. So we'll see how their summer goes and, and how they come out in the new year. Elsewhere around the field, uh, John Schuster, of course, was not playing. John Morris was. First time we've seen him at the Grand Slams this year. And John Morris is going to John Morris and uh, have a good time. They seem like they uh, they enjoyed each other's company. For sure, for sure. They they had quite a good run. And i got to imagine they weren't super crushed to lose in that quarterfinal because then they could take some time and hit up the Pinty's Pub you know, yeah. uh, crush a few beers on the Saturday night. Pretty fun. Yeah. Pretty fun. I mean, when I lose playoff games, that's what I look at, Sean. I, I look at the silver lining of, well, at least now I can have a beer at the at the bar. There you go. And uh, there ain't no Saturday night like a Saskatoon Saturday night. <laughs> oh, yeah? Uh, Trade, yeah? Trademark that phrase? <laughs> yeah, trademark that. Um, elsewhere, uh, John Epping and his team ended their run together. Craig Savile, this is his last event. Uh, until further notice, see if he catches on with anybody. Mm-hmm. They lose in the quarterfinal. Uh, Brad Jacobs and his team, they end their run together, losing to Brandon Botcher in the quarterfinal. It's If you look at their social media, pretty much every time they talk about the team not playing together next year, they mention the fact that they're all going to be at Ryan Fry's wedding next month. Oh. Which is nice, and it's it's good to know that they're friends, and, and hopefully this is an amicable, thing, am, amicable situation, and there's, there's no tension uh, it just mm-hmm. seems strange that they bring that up every time. <laughs> well, it's the next time they're all going to be together, John. Right, which is great. And uh, certainly congratulations to Ryan Fry and his fiance as well. And uh, hopefully all goes well with that wedding. Um, elsewhere, uh, Brad Gushu ends uh, another long season for him, losing to Kevin Cooey in the quarterfinal. Uh, that team seemed not quite up to what their standard was all week just a little bit off which you know for brad gushu means you go three and one and get to a quarterfinal but it just it seemed not quite there for him this week well of course they had colton lots substituting in so bit of change to the team dynamic i know that brad relies on uh 
Um, whoa, I re- realized I'm Brett Gallant quite a bit. Yeah. I just had a total mind, mind fart. <laughs> they, they are always speaking about shots and Brett's, you know, cleaning the whole ice, but whilst he talks a lot to, to Brett down at the other yeah. end. So yeah, uh, a bit of a change there. Stuff, yeah. Of yeah. course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that could be a reason for that, uh, as you know, but still pretty good to make the playoffs. Nonetheless. Yep. So, uh, so yeah, so overall, uh, I think a, a good week for uh, the teams there, uh, sort of what we might have expected going into the week in terms of who made the playoffs and uh, what the final might have been. But, Scott, is it what we expected? Well, Sean, funny you should mention. We did uh, pretty well uh, in this event. I'm surprised. I When I looked at this, I was surprised that you hadn't picked Botcher to win. I thought you had. But, yeah. alas, just to make the playoffs. But that said, Sean, you picked four teams correctly for the playoffs. Yeah. Bruce Mowat, Brad Gushu, Kevin Cooey, and Brendan Botcher. Me, on the other hand, I cannot say that I did as well. I did pick Schuster's team to win. I thought it would just be a fun story. They had a pretty good pretty good run. Yeah. But uh, just yeah. making the playoffs. I also had Brad Jacobs and John Epping to make the playoffs. So I was pretty lucky with that tiebreaker getting Jacobs in. And I picked Team Matsumura as well, who did not yeah. make the playoffs. So just three no. points for me. You add another point to your lead, Sean. It's now I think it's, eight, I think it's insurmountable. 82.75 on the year. We're going to... You know, it, it's not insurmountable with this World Cup coming up because there's mixed doubles and... If I pick everything perfectly and you pick nothing right, I can still do it. Okay. All right. So there is still some pressure left. There's uh, nine points up for grabs. So. Okay. So if I get two points, I win. Yeah. Okay. So uh, so I'll try and do that uh, with the, with the uh, grand finale there of the uh, Curly World Cup. Uh, also, what was going on this week, uh, I don't know, we didn't mention I don't think on the show last week, Scott Chu, who does uh, fantasy sports, he's a fantasy baseball and uh, baseball writer and podcaster, and he decided to do some fantasy curling for the Champions Cup, where he put a price on each team based on the year-to-date order of merit, mm-hmm. and gave you a cap of $40,000 and you could pick your teams within the $40,000 cap and uh, see how you did. Now, Scott, I have the results up in front of me. How do you think the two of us did? Well, Sean, you know, based on uh, those picks we just talked about, I'm sure we did really well, right? Of course. So uh, <laughs> the winner was MGCC, I'm not sure who this who, who that is, but congratulations to them, with a total of 359 points. There were 252 entries. I, Scott, finished in 243rd <laughs> with 205 points. Oh, Sean, that's terrible. I must have obviously done better than you. You finished. This is remar- This is amazing to me. You finished in two hundred and forty fourth place <laughs> with a total of one hundred and ninety nine points. You didn't even break so the two hundred point barrier. Yeah, so we had a six point uh, difference between us. The, the problem for both of us, Scott, is that uh, we both picked Team Matsumura. Yes, and they did, did 
poorly. Very poorly. They, they didn't get as any points. Uh, I also had Minji Kim, who also did poorly on, on my team. So uh, so I think, I mean, that's really what it ended up being for me. You have two teams that don't make the playoffs. You're not going to do well. Of course, of course, Sean. Um, but there is some good news to come out of this. Yeah, that, that there the, is. The Game of Stones official entry. Yes. Uh, finished 108th with 277 points. Now, Sean, did did you put that entry in? No, not my entry. I did. <laughs> I I don't know. It, it's got. It had. Uh, it had one of the Russian teams. I think Elena Kovaleva on it. So it was. It wasn't me who put that in. It, I don't think you put it in either. I did not put it in, Sean. But you know what? It's good to know there's a fan out there that's uh putting in some work and giving us some some cred do you think it was mom <laughs> <laughs> it might have, it might have been our mom uh or or and and hear me out on this it's somebody who has no idea who we are and thought that game of stones is a clever topical name for a, a curling thing i prefer my explanation <laughs> <laughs> um if we look too, uh do, do you want to know who finished in dead last guy well, Sean, I know, and... Uh, All right, then let's not say. We won't say who finished the last. Well, I think she made a joke about it on Twitter, so it's okay. Okay. All right, that's good. But, so, uh, uh, yeah, go and watch the, the Lazy Handle show. It's, uh, yes. it's a great YouTube show. Uh, yes. Go give it a, a thumbs up and, and all that good stuff. Yeah, two girls in a game finished in 74th place. Pretty um, good. So that's pretty good. So, uh, you know, yeah... It's the first time. Uh, John uh, Havercroft finished in 213th place. Uh, Twine Time finished in 207th place. So, I mean, we're not certainly, you know, we're with good company towards the bottom. Absolutely, Sean. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm hoping that we can see more of this in the future. I know it's a lot of work to manually have to put in the scores and stuff, but hopefully... Hopefully uh, we can keep something like this going for next year for the, at least for the Grand Slams. It might be a, a way to make it a little more interesting to watch those early games. Yeah, I think so. It, it was fun. Uh, a lot of fun. Curling Geek at 112th place as a sort of scan here and uh, look for yeah. the people who we, who we know. Um, so yeah, no, a, a really fun thing to do and, and thank you to Scott for putting it together. Uh, really well done, I, th- I felt. Yeah, it was pretty good. I thought the scoring system was good. I'm sure there could be some tweaking to it. It seems that the winner is a little bit OP. Uh, so pick- picking the winner almost guarantees you to be at the top. Uh, I guess that kind of makes sense. <laughs> kind of makes but, sense, yeah. But if, yeah, I, I mean, that's just my my little suggestion. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, so we'll see what happens uh, next year. So let's uh, shift our attention over to what happened in Norway in Stavanger, and of course we all remember all the fun stuff that you can do over there in Stavanger, Norway. And uh, let's start here with the senior championships. We said this after the Canadian senior championships, but it's even more true now, Scott. This is Sherry Anderson's world, and she is just letting us all live in it. You got that right, Sean. She. She was a very dominant at this seniors world championship, uh, coming through and winning the gold medal. I, I believe she was undefeated in round robin play. You can fact check me on that. Uh, but right, I'm just pulling it up. But uh, you know, another world championship for Sherry Anderson. Uh, I believe one of 
like it's Robin Silvernagel's mom or aunt or something is on her team. So uh, repping Saskatchewan proud over there in Stavanger, Norway. And talk- yeah, so they they did run the table. They did go undefeated there. Right. And, and yes, uh, Anita Silvernagel is the lead on the team. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what the relation is, but I can't imagine it's not a relation. Given that they're yeah, bo- you never both from Saskatchewan and it's not a very common name. That's true. Um, so yeah, so definitely uh, congratulations uh, to them in the playoffs. They uh, so this the, this used the same playoff system as the World Championships with six teams making it, and you get the buys through to the semifinals. So they only had to play the two games in the playoffs, beating Scotland in the semifinal and just crushing the Danes ten to one in the gold medal game. Oof, ten to one. That'd be nice to to win a, a game like that. How many ends did they play? How many ends did they play? They shook after the sixth, Ooh. and uh, in but in the uh, seniors there eight end games. Right on. Okay. Yeah. So when the scoreboard was three one three. Okay. That is scoreboard management right there. <laughs> That's exactly scoreboard management, Sean. Yeah. You can't knock that for sure. And no. they were not alone in their golden ways at the senior championship not, as no. the Canadian men joined them at the top of the podium, winning on a pretty crazy last shot by Brian Cochran. Yeah, Brian Cochran, local for, local for us here in Ottawa. He played his last shot. He had to raise one of his own, again, from sort of the 11 o'clock position on the house and sort of a double raise to... He was throwing yellow to knock two redstones that were both looked like they were both touching the button to move them out. He didn't get either of them out of the forefoot, but he didn't need to. He just had to move them a little bit, and it ends up being a score of two to win that game seven to five over Scotland. Brian Cochran is a world champion, which is weird for me to say because I have played against Brian Cochran. Yeah, but have you beaten Brian Cochran, Sean? God no. So there you go. You can't say that you beat a world champion just yet. No, but I've been on the ice with uh, a world champion. <laughs> uh, and that was actually in the extra end where he, he makes that shot after forcing Scotland. Scotland to a single in the eighth end. So uh, well done there. We know how challenging that can be in the five rock rule. Yeah, and I guess it, because it was the extra end, he wasn't concerned about leaving a knee print on the ice on that last shot. Right, John? <laughs> he, he had... Uh, he had no inclination to get up. No, no, no. Like, that, like he was on the ice for so long. I'm surprised that he he wasn't on the concrete underneath. Like it was just <laughs> hand knees everywhere. Yeah, if that's in the first end, someone's giving you a bit of a tap. Yeah, I'd say uh, Team Jacobs would be there tapping your leg, saying, "Hey, yeah, give, get you, up. give you a little tap." Yeah, just a nice little yeah. reminder there, what to do. <laughs> yeah, but uh, great week for the Canadian men there, winning of course against Scotland. So uh, good for them, but. There was another championship going on in Stavanger, too, Sean. The World Mixed Doubles yes. was going on. And I don't know if you watched any of this, but the setup in the arena was really interesting because when Brian Cochran made that shot, that uh-huh. they were playing in – it's like the same arena. Whoops, I just banged my mic. I was so excited. Is uh, It's the same arena, but they had built stands in between the two sections. So they had six sheets of mixed doubles on one half. And uh, the the sheets for the seniors were sort of 
on the other side of the stand. So there were some stands in between. And when Brian Cochran made that shot, there was huge cheers that you could hear during the mixed doubles final. And okay. Because I was like, what the hell is going on? What are they cheering for? Like, nothing's happening. Anna Hasselberg is sitting in the hack. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so it was a pretty cool setup where everything was there. And then once the seniors game was over, the, the athletes and spectators that had been over there came into the venue for the mixed doubles to, to watch the last couple ends. And it was a pretty good game, Sean, the mixed doubles final with Anna Hasselberg and Oscar Erickson beating Brett Gallant and Jocelyn Peterman uh, in the last end. Uh, it was a pretty well-played game. I managed to wake up in time for the final, but I didn't catch the bronze medal. We'll get to that a little bit later. But these two teams, uh, two of the best during the week, they were in the same pool, of course. So, uh, Yeah, in the same pool. Canada wins the round-robin game against Sweden. Sweden yeah. But uh, Sweden, of course, comes back in the gold medal with the six five victory there and i i don't know scott it, it was strange to me I, I have no idea how the pools are put together i'm sure it's by ranking uh on nationality and all that but it's strange that canada russia excuse me canada sweden and japan were all in the same pool those were three powerhouse teams yeah sean the, the problem is that it's based on the results of last year and anna hasselberg and oscar erickson have won the swedish championship before but were would decline going to the mixed doubles national or the worlds because uh, they were competing with their four member teams. So uh, as far as I know, based on last year's standings, this kind of makes sense. I mean, it was bad news for our friend Jason and Ling from Hong Kong because I mean, they had to play in a pretty tough pool with those three powerhouses. But, you know, I think things would all shake out a little bit differently next year. Uh, and I'm, I remember we talked about how they're changing the format away from uh, a full world event in, into a B, a B event and a main event. And we talked about this a little bit on the podcast last week, but there's 48 teams that they whittled down to 16 and yes. Nobody with a record worse than five and two got into the playoffs, even with 16 teams making the playoffs. It was an incredibly, uh, well, incredibly strong field that you had to, you had to win quite a bit. Uh, some teams with five and two records lost, lost out in the playoffs on draw shot challenge. Yep. Canada. A lot, actually. Turkey, Italy, China. Uh, did not make the playoffs. South Korea did not make the playoffs at five and uh, at five, five and, two. and two. And some of it was the head-to-heads, and some of it was draw, draw shot challenge. So uh, pretty uh, ruthless here. And like we, like I talked about last week, we saw tons of blowouts uh, that, that weren't even competitive. So hopefully next year, you know, there will be there will be the ability to have the teams that are more comparable in skill play each other i guess i mean i i still like this i i still like the idea of it was was with all due respect to the teams that you know won stuff was there a better moment this week than when nigeria won 
like that's the mo- that's the moment of the week. They beat France. They're jumping around. They're excited. Like that's fun. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's fun. Uh, okay. Was it a well played like, game? No, I'm, I don't know. Right? Who cares? <laughs> uh, it was a fun moment. Like, like why not? Like, I, I just this. Again, if the point of having mixed doubles and the point of having it in the Olympics is to grow the sport, which the World Curling Federation has said explicitly that's the point of it, why are you going to start excluding people? That I don't understand. It, it makes no sense to me, and it's counterintuitive. Now, someone on Twitter made the point of you can't, in theory, if the World Curling Federation is going to admit countries – who apply for entry, who want to have curling uh, teams like with, like with what happened with Nigeria, then you can't have a a full event with 64 teams or, or however many. And at some point you're going to have to decide who makes it into the world championships. And I understand that perspective. I I do. I, I genuinely understand that, but I don't know if we're there yet because these games don't take very long you can add sheets to to facilities. It's not a big TV draw. It's not a big fan draw. You, there's not a lot of people going to these things. So why not? Yeah, I shot. Like, and, and people say, like, when people are like, "Oh, there's blowouts." Who cares? Who's who? Like, seriously, just there, there's eight games going on. Watch a different game. Twenty twenty to nothing is not fun for anyone. And if you want to, to split this, we talked about this all last week. I feel like we're doing the same thing again. Yeah, we are. If you if you want to say have all the teams there at the same event, fine. But make an A flight event and a B flight event so everybody can still talk to each other, whatever. But you're no, not. I don't care about. You're not playing top. Socializing. Uh, but you're not playing top, like top teams against teams that have like curled three times in their lives, right? But that's how you get better. You got to play better teams. And yet, what's going to happen? What's going to happen if you have a A flight and a B flight? Is that whoever comes out of the B flight will go to the A flight the next year, get their doors knocked in, and go right back to the B flight? It's going to be this revolving door of who's up and who's down. And at some point, it's not going to be beneficial to the growth of the sport. We, it, it just it, it's not. I mean, we we've it. You know, it reminds me of women's hockey to a certain degree. And people talk about what's the best way for women's hockey to to grow and expand. And it took a long time, but people were getting their doors beat in. And now Finland is a legit women's hockey country. So why not? Like if if there's some short-term pain of a 20 to nothing game on Tuesday morning and Tuesday night and Wednesday morning, like so what? Uh, I, I, I just don't see. I just don't see who it hurts. Well, to Sean, like it's not fun getting your doors knocked in, as you say, all the time. And the, like maybe by playing some teams that are a little bit closer to your skill level, you can gain some confidence and win some stuff, and then get pushed up to the next level. And sure, maybe the next year you get knocked back down, but then you get a taste of it and you get back in it. But that. But what you're what you're explaining is what happens now. With these pools, you, you have teams that are really good who you play, and you have teams that are more along your level that you play. What, what you just described is what happens. It just happens on a micro level within each pool. Exactly. So why should why do these teams – like, it's not fun to beat somebody that much, too. 
it's not like I'm thinking just about the teams that are that are down on their uh, in their skill level. It's not fun to go out and crush somebody twenty to nothing, eighteen to one, right? You feel uh, bad. How, how would I? How would I know that? Okay. Well, I did it once, and <laughs> I felt pretty bad about it. So, it, I think we're not going to solve this today. I want to hear what the other people have to say. I want to hear from from Jason and Ling. Uh, actually, yeah. I want to know what their thoughts are on it. Uh, they had a really good week, by the way. They incidentally, uh, finished I think fifth in the pool. They went one and six. So they what? finished. No, they yeah. didn't. Sure. Really? According to the standings that are in front of me right now, yes. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, I thought they were at three and four. But uh, anyway, okay. Sorry, I was they, wrong. They played a relatively close game against Canada. They, I think they lost by six um, to to Canada, if, if memory serves. But yeah, like yeah, look, Jason and Ling, they can let us know um, as to who's right and who's wrong. Right, and I think you know having the event at the same place is not a problem. So you participate in the the opening ceremonies and all that fun stuff. Right. And, uh, by the looks of it, everybody had fun exploring the things to do in Stavanger. Yeah. It seems like everybody went out on the water. Yeah. They, they uh, explored the fjord. So maybe Jason and Link can also explain to you the, what a fjord is. No, I think it's too late. It's gone. <laughs> Who it's gone. cares? It's right. One of these things I, it's one, it's one of these things I'm never going to understand. Oh, okay. So, yeah, uh, the- anyway, a couple more things from the mixed doubles, Sean, we always talk about, uh, the power play efficiency. Yes. Right? So I got a list here of the power play analysis from the entire event. Okay. And there are teams that are plus on their power play, and there are some teams that are negative on their power play, meaning they gave up points on average. This is the average score when they take their own power play. Right. So the highest average score was three, and that was done by three teams, England, Hungary, and Sweden, coincidentally all in the in the playoffs. Uh, USA was next, followed by Norway, Spain. Kazakhstan is a bit of an outlier. Uh, China and Korea, you already talked about it. They missed the playoffs on a, on a tiebreakers. Uh, Romania, then Italy. Then we sort of get into the, the weeds of everybody. But maybe surprising, Canada here, only 1.5. They played 11 games they only took six power plays whereas the united states for example played 11 games and took 10 power plays and they always scored on their power play and and more often than not they scored a multiple only twice did they score only one out of those 10 so you see the teams at the top of the standings mostly being the ones that can take advantage in the power play sort of like you like you had said yeah, there's definitely, I think, a correlation between that. You know, with Canada, though, the, there was a lot of talk that Brent Brecklant and uh, Jocelyn Peterman had been very conservative with their use and the employment of the power play even. Mm-hmm. You know, in one game, it looked like the seventh end was the great time to use it. They were, I believe, up one or two, had the hammer, and didn't use it. Yeah, they didn't and, use it, and they ended up in a an extra end yeah, where you're not allowed so, to use the power play. Right. So yeah, just very conservative use of it there, and that that was a little bit curious. I think Jeff Stoughton, from everything that I've heard from him and, and sort of his overall look at the power play, is that he likes it as a defensive tool. Yeah. 
late in games when you have a uh, have a lead. So that's why I was surprised they didn't employ it more there. Uh, it makes sense that they didn't use it in the the games where they were winning big because you don't need to in, in those situations. Mm-hmm. But it just yeah, that we've seen it at pretty much every event that the teams that are the best at using it win the games. Yeah, and that's uh, definitely what we saw here. Also, a, a little thing about the draw shot challenge. Uh, the top two teams in draw shot challenge in the entire field were Sweden and Canada, uh, both from the same pool. Obviously, Sweden wins the pool based on that draw shot challenge. The way they're seated for the playoffs is the six pools. The winners are ranked one to six, and then the second place teams, yeah. seven to twelve, and then the last four are from the the rest of the player, the rest of the teams. So. Canada finishing seventh based on their, the fact that they lost the draw shot challenge to the only other team that beat them. So right. if they had been in another pool and won, they might have been seated differently. Uh, but I, I heard some talk of some teams maybe playing strategically to try and manipulate their draw shot challenge so that they would fall into a more favorable slot for the playoffs once once they had qualified. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure how true that is or if anybody's got more info, but uh, if so, it's a little bit sneaky. And yeah, it seems so hard, though. There's so many moving parts, you know, with things coming down to draw shot challenge and, and all that stuff. It, it just it, it seems really difficult to try and manipulate that. Yeah, yeah, but maybe say, oh, I just, whoops, I hogged this one. Sorry. Uh, you know. Who knows? Who knows what, what can happen there? So overall, congratulations to all the teams. Uh, John Schuster and Corey Christensen win bronze, representing the USA. They played Australia in that bronze medal game. And I'm my question for you, Sean, we see the top three teams here are mixed doubles teams composed of players who play at a very high level in the four-person game. Yes. The Australians... I hadn't heard of them before because they don't make the appearance much at the Worlds because of the uh, they have to get through PACCs, and that's pretty tough nowadays. But most of the other teams, with a couple of exceptions, are mixed doubles teams. Yes. Is it good for curling for four-person players to sort of parachute into the mixed doubles? No. No, it's not. I think this should be viewed as the way John Morris looks at it. Different discipline. Mm-hmm. You are you dedicate yourself to this. The way these players treat it is like it's a sort of a, sort of a fun. second chance. Yeah, when, when you, sort of a fun when you thing miss, to do. Yeah, when you miss the main thing that you're trying to do, oh, now we'll go and do this. And, and I don't think that it's really good for it. I don't think it's a good look for the Olympics either to have it and and be the situation like what we had last year with players who they went to the four-person trials, and if you lost in that, then we'll go to the other trials. I think it was a really bad look, and for as much as Steve Simmons, what he wrote was really stupid, I think the the thing that he said that was had, had a grain of truth to it is that the mixed doubles did feel secondary. It didn't feel as important 
And I think it's because of the way this it gets treated with teams sort of players just parachuting in. Yeah, so do you think that first of all, do you think that the World Curling Federation should make a kind of rule where if you enter a team into your own national playdowns in the four person you should be ineligible for mixed doubles or should it just be if you represent your team at a, at another world event that you should be ineligible for mixed doubles because i'm I don't know I, i'm sure the smaller countries might have team like have four player teams as well but they don't get onto the world stage right and i think that's the problem right with the smaller countries yeah uh, where who who else are you going to get to play in this thing? So mm-hmm. that that's kind of an issue, and you know it's it's not just with Canada, the United States, Sweden. It's you know Suzuki Fujisawa played yep. this week for Japan. So so it happens all over the Japan, world. Japan, Norway for sure. Yeah, yeah. There's lots of lots of players that would play both disciplines. Yeah. So it's it's really just a question then of. Yeah, I don't know how to. I don't. I really don't know how to police it. I, I or it, even if you need to, I, I think it's a bad look. I, I just think that mixed doubles is not going to have the same cachet as the four-person teams as long as people are look looking at it again as this backup, as this mm-hmm. like we failed at the main goal. Now let's go do this. Oh. And I think it cheapens it a bit. I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but it it just doesn't. It feels I, for people who say it's kind of gimmicky, just the way it's set up anyway, and then add on to the fact how players are treating it, how the top players are treating it, and it's it's not the greatest of looks. Yeah, Sean, I'm going to give you a Seinfeld trivia question right now. Okay, and I'll say, oh, it's got cachet, baby. It's got cachet coming out the wazoo. It's up the yin oh, Thank you. He knew the quote. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's George talking about the name Seven. That's correct? Yes. 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 It is. Oh, good times. Good times. Yeah. Anyway, we said we would end this before the Raptors game started, and the first quarter is now ended. Yes, we have failed miserably at that. So, so uh, I guess so... we should get out of here, eh? Yeah, so let's uh, let's wrap it up. Congratulations, Again to Anna Hasselberg, Oscar Erickson. One more thing, and... Sean. <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, I wanted to give a shout out to Team Austria at the mixed doubles. Uh, Hannah Augustin is playing for them, and I used to play with her in Montreal. So I wanted to give a okay. job well done. They finished at 23 in the field, so just, just about right. halfway mark. Uh, good All job right, by yeah. them. Good job. Yeah, congratulations to them. And uh, all the Austrian, all our Austrian listeners. Yeah, I know we're big in uh, big in Austria, Sean. It's it's true. I can't go there. I've been told that we would just be mobbed, you know, like the Beatles. And it's not when they when they landed at JFK. It's not in Vienna that we're big, but it's really more in Salzburg. So, I uh, just want wanted to point that out. Yeah, there. <laughs> so yeah, so congratulations to all the teams out there from Stavanger. Safe travels to everybody who is still en route home. Uh, and congratulations, of course, Sherry Anderson, Brian Cochran, and Brandon Botcher and Silvana Tiranzoni. So that'll do it for us this week. We will be back at some point to talk about the grand final of the World Cup of Curling, which will mercifully bring this curling season to an end. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah, so it started when it was warm out. Now it's getting warm out again. 
as we wrap it up uh, and as we said off the top everybody in certainly the national capital region out there in montreal east coast uh, certainly be safe and, and our friends out in saskatchewan too uh, i was talking to somebody from regina uh, over the weekend and they already have fire bans it's been so dry out there so there's concerns about fire out there so everybody be safe and uh it's almost like the climate is changing scott yeah weird, weird right yeah so um but we'll be back uh next week or, or in the lead up to the world cup of curling but in the earnest room if you want to get in touch with us you can find us on twitter and instagram at game of stones pod you can email the show game of stones podcast at gmail.com scott you can find him at scott likes tv i am at dr shawnee fever and if you have not yet please do subscribe to the show on apple Podcasts, google podcasts all those places give us likes ratings all the fun stuff to keep the show going so enjoy yourselves everybody be safe out there we'll be back with you later next month but until then keep your brooms on the ice and don't dump that intern <laughs>